friends, today is the third and final Sunday of our sermon series, Foundations, Building a Better 2018. Over the past few weeks, we have talked about God's word as a sure foundation for our faith. We have talked about what it means to be truly rich toward God rather than just storing up blessings for ourselves. And this week, our scripture, let it, our scripture lesson from the first letter of Peter concerns our foundational identity as God's people. Just going to wait a moment. try to start. All right, friends. Let's hear something else. Let's hear the word of God. <laughs> Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Who are you? It's a simple question. One we are asked to answer in some way every single day. Who are you? We may ask in so many words, but sometimes it's the question that's hiding behind what we say. Who are you hides behind some of our more polite expressions, like when we ask, what do you do? Or where are you from? Or how did you find our church? We're really asking, who are you? I want to get a grip on your identity. I want to understand who you are. The question of who we are is louder than ever in the information age. On social media, we construct virtual identities for ourselves, versions of ourselves through which to conduct our relationships. The first step is always to build your profile. Here's a picture. And here's a little paragraph about me. Or that part can even be a snappy little list, like wife, mother, Aggie, <laughs> Texas X, engineer, 
granddad, homebody, daydreamer, activist, adventurer. It's up to you, your words, to tell us who you are. Believer, Jesus follower. You do see those. They come up sometimes. It only makes sense for us as Christians. Our identity in Christ is surely at the core of who we are, and we want to tell the world, or at least tell the world wide web. I'm a believer. But you know, there's one identifier I have not really seen out there, and maybe you have, because sometimes I think I'm pretty out of touch for a millennial. But I have not seen anyone who's out there saying, this is me, this is who I am. I am a living stone. I can't say that I've seen that one lately. And I get that. I get that. That's pretty strange. I'm a living stone. But according to Peter, that's what Jesus is and what we are too. So we'd better figure out what it means. What does it mean to be a living stone? Well, it's a metaphor, of course. God is a builder. We are the stones, and Christ is the cornerstone holding the walls together and sturdily in their place. The structure being built, we are told, is a spiritual house. It's a place where God encounters God's people and from which God's blessings flow through those very same people out into the world. Sounds like church, which is Peter's point. This letter was almost certainly directed toward new believers, new church members, but in the early years when Christianity was just a movement and not yet an institution, first Peter was a letter to tell that young church, this is who you are. And we too can find our identity in these words more than one when we give it a try and start to consider ourselves as living stones we see that it's never really who we are but whose we are we are gods you see like stones in the expert hands of a mason we are subject to god's power and god's plans for us And because we are not only stones, but living stones, we get to be aware of that. We get to have a feeling for what God is doing. From time to time, by the grace of God, we can feel the Spirit gently pick us up and place us and secure us right where we belong in the bigger picture. Of course, it's not always so easy to surrender. Every person has power and their own. And sometimes, even when we do allow God to move us, we are shy to speak about it because it's hard to say for certain what's going on. It's hard to say what is real. Reading a Bible study for the past several months on the book of Acts, and our group often marvels at the way, time after time, the Holy Spirit came in power and just moved the early church along. And no one can dispute that it's the Holy Spirit when there's a tongue of flame leaping on every forehead. 
And no one can dispute that it's the Holy Spirit when foreign languages are bursting from the mouths of barely educated Galilean peasants, those early disciples. But when God touches us, when God moves us, often it's a subtler thing, something we suspect more than we know, something our hearts bear witness to, but that our eyes do not. But isn't that still the very realest thing? The places you find yourself that you never would have chosen? The person you encounter who needs exactly what it is you have to give? The moves you make that are not your own, not entirely. It's in those moments when we are open and available to God in our everyday lives, that's when we start to become living stones in the imitation of Christ, the human being perfectly surrendered to God. Jesus, the original living stone, he is our model, he is our blueprint. He has revealed what God is up to and provided a pattern for all of us to live toward. And more than that, Peter tells us, he is the cornerstone. That means we are connected to him. No, it's more than that. We are permanently cemented to him in baptism. Now, I wouldn't blame you if you had never thought of baptism in terms of bricklaying. The language of water and spirit, the language of adoption and incorporation into the body of Jesus Christ, that's more beautiful language. But the strength of the bond, the strength of the bond that unites us all with Christ cannot be overstated. Scripture tells us that that connection is solid, profound, strong enough to withstand any storm. That's what we celebrated this morning, what we celebrate today, and indeed, it is worthy of our celebration always. It's good news, but when we are unified with Christ, there is a challenge for us. Because in the eyes of the world, God's chosen and precious cornerstone is a complete and utter reject. On the job site where God is building, human builders often gather around to offer their two cents. Ooh, you're going to build on that? Wow. I don't know about that. We know these dubious voices, too. They are in us. And they're around us. Like, you could build your life on the teachings of Jesus, but haven't you heard the latest TED Talk? It's pretty good. Or you could struggle toward justice and peace, but it's cheaper and easier to just look for comfort and fun. Or you could hold on to your hope in the gospel one man's death and his rumored resurrection. I'll find a hope I can see. These criticisms and doubts, 
These will surely befall those who are called to be living stones. That's part of what Peter is saying. And you know, he and the early apostles knew it better than most. But here I think is something rather important in God's word to us. By the grace of God, no matter what happens, no stone stands alone. Christ may be the singular living stone, the original, but we are living stones, plural. Peter calls us to be a holy priesthood. That's a collective group. We are God's people, undivided even as we are different. It's a simple trade-off. We never get the luxury of going it alone, but we never have to bear the burdens of solitude either, especially when those doubts and difficulties arise. We're together, and that's the way God still builds the church to be. So, who are you? Are you a living stone? Are you someone fully surrendered to the will of God and the movement of the Spirit? Are you someone united with Christ, cemented to Christ through thick and thin? These are crucial questions. And we want to shout, yes! But at some point in all our lives, our honest answer is no, or not yet, or I'm just not sure. And I think Peter, our forerunner in the faith, I think Peter would tell us that our hope in those times is to come. Come, living stone. Be gathered here with the rest of us, with God's people, together. The church. And yet, and yet, there is one more thing worth mentioning, and it's worth remembering because it's easy to forget. We must remember that our highest purpose as a church is not to belong. It is certainly a joy to belong, but God is not building a temple to our belonging. What God is building is for our calling. It's for our calling. I was home in Nashville for a few days after Christmas, staying with my parents in the house where I grew up, and it was very cold out, so we found ourselves doing mostly indoor things, reading new books by the fireplace, drinking coffee, eating only the appropriate number of Christmas cookies, which, by the way, is as many as you possibly can. And after I had torn through my new books, I went digging around for what to devour next. And in my brother's old room, I found them, all seven of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Old friend. And I sunk my teeth into that first one, the magician's nephew. Now, you may have thought I was going to say The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's more popular. But The Magician's Nephew is very good. So good. It's the story of how Narnia came to exist in the first place. How Aslan the lion actually created it out of nothing. And at first, the whole world is dark and silent. But then Aslan the lion begins to sing. He begins to sing one melody after another. And 
One melody brings light and another sky and stars and another land and another plants and trees. And then in response to Aslan's song, other animals just start popping up out of the ground. Dogs and leopards and elk and elephants, you name it, they're there. All of a sudden, the gang's all here. And C.S. Lewis writes that at that point, you could hardly hear the song of the lion because there was so much calling, cooing, crowing, braying, neighing, baying, barking, lowing, bleeding, and trumpeting. <laughs> that new world is full of life. But then, a solemn silence falls, and Aslan begins walking slowly among the animals, touching some of them ever so gently on the nose, and the chosen ones gather around him in a circle. But then a change happens, and Aslan breathes onto the gathered animals, and there is a flash like fire and a tingling in their blood, and Aslan calls, Narnia, 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 love, think, speak. And in that very instant, all of those chosen animals become talking animals. In the world of C.S. Lewis's fantasy, you know, Aslan could have called the animals that he created to be any which way he wanted. He could have called them to do anything, but he made them to speak. And in the world of God's creation, which of course was Lewis's inspiration, in our world the same is true for us. God has created us and called us to go out of darkness and into the light for a purpose. For a purpose. We have been called to proclaim God's mighty acts. To speak. To go. Tell it on a mountain. And if we do not do that, then the foundation has been laid in vain. You've only been brought together here in order to go out again into the world to love, to think, and yes, to speak. So friends, surrender to God's loving will for your life. Cling to Christ even when it means risking difficulty or rejection. Keep coming back to be together as the people of God and keep talking about it. All of it, wherever you go, that's what's foundational for us. That is who we are. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.